Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain and I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams and this is episode number 16, 16 of Red Pill Revolution. And thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to talk about this topic and not even, I guess excited is not even a word. I'm, I'm like more so uh, wanting to share this with the world. Some of these concerns, some of these topics um, and some of the more recent things that have happened because I got a lot to say about it. So without further ado, this week's episode is going to be on the military industrial complex. It's also going to touch on a new national terrorism advisory system bulletin, which was released about a week ago, which basically labels everybody, everybody who disagrees with our current governmental administration's opinions. If you disagree with their opinions, you can be labeled a terrorist, which allows them under the, uh, you know, the Patriot Act to do basically whatever they want, which is interesting. So we'll dive deeper into that. We'll also touch on some of the history of the military industrial complex. Um, we'll talk about some of the people who have talked about it, what they've said, some of the speeches that have been made, and some, some of the turning points of when this really kind of settled into our nation. Um, we'll also go into a little bit about the Freedom Rally as well, the Freedom Convoy, which was basically also right around the same time that this National Terrorism Advisory Bulletin came out in the U.S. was also about, you know, very close within several days. Uh, all of the truckers of the Freedom Convoy were allegedly now um, labeled as terrorists as well. So all of that to more, all of that and more on this week's episode. And uh, before we get to that, though, you know the drill. The first thing I need you to do before we talk about all these things that I'm really excited, really passionate um, to discuss with you, the first thing I need you to do is just go ahead and press that subscribe button. It's a little button right there on the screen that you, you know, if you're driving, I forgive you. You don't have to do it. <laughs> stay, stay alive for the next episode. Don't be picking up your phone just to subscribe for me. But when you stop, maybe think about it. Just go ahead and hit that subscribe button. If you're not driving, go ahead and touch that button right now. It starts with an S ends with an subscribe. Go ahead and click it right now. It takes one second, means the world to me. You know, you, there's only a few things you could do in your day today um, that would really impact somebody's life in a positive way, and that's one of them. Just think about it. You could have some real good positive karma just by pressing that button. Just tap that little subscribe button, and that's great karma for you because you're doing something awesome for me, awesome for the show, and awesome for the world um, by helping me spread this message. So go ahead and press that subscribe button. If you've already done that, which so many of you already have, I would like you to do one more thing for me, which is go ahead 
ahead and give this a five-star review. You guys have been smashing that five-star review button. I appreciate it so much. It's so cool to go on to the app, um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and just see you know five stars across the board, um, which means to me that this is resonating with you, right? I appreciate that so much. So go ahead, press that five-star review button if you think I deserve it. If you think I deserve less than five-star review, uh, go ahead and message me why. I'd hope to get better for you. <laughs> you don't have to press the four star or under button though. Um, you can go ahead and, and message me and I'll do what I can to make it a five star podcast for you. Um, so with all that aside, the last thing is go ahead and um, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Substack. Our Instagram is redpillrevolt, at redpillrevolt. Uh, put out a bunch of reels and cool stuff, short videos from each episode every single week. Put out a few of them. Um, and then the last one is go ahead and subscribe to the Substack. That's the basically the way if everything shuts off, if my Instagram gets shut down, you know, the world comes to an end, I'll still be able to send you an email. So redpillrevolution.substack.com. And uh, that way, if there's an apocalypse, you know, we can all squad up and, uh, you know, take on the zombies uh, together. So um, redpillrevolution.substack.com every single week. Uh, getting better at this, guys. I'm in a weird transitional period of my life, um, but I'm going and trying to get better to get out as much content on that Substack as I can, including that podcast companion. I found a way to really kind of systematize my show here where I'm downloading all of this stuff. Uh, there's an app called Evernote, which I found is great to just clip all these articles and videos that I'm discussing here, which will make it much easier for me to drag them over to that podcast companion on the Substack. So um, that's all I got. I don't want to take up much of your time here. Let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Episode 16 is about the military industrial complex. And the first topic that we're going to talk about this is a more recent topic and a more recent or a bulletin that came out under the National Terrorism Advisory System. So this was released on February 7th of 2022 by Homeland Security. And you can find this um, either on the Substack or just search the National Terrorism Advisory System bulletin from February 7th from the Homeland Security website. And this is a summary. This is what it says. I'm going to read it verbatim. Okay, it says the United States remains in a heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories and other forms of mis, dis, and malinformation, which they gave an acronym of MDM. <laughs> uh, right? Weird. Um, introduced and or amplified by foreign and domestic threat actors. Ooh. These threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction, to sow discord, and to undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest, which could potentially inspire acts of violence. Mass casualty attacks and other acts of targeted violence conducted by lone offenders in small groups acting in furtherance of ideological beliefs and or personal grievances pose an ongoing threat to the nation. While the conditions underlying the heightened threat landscape have not significantly changed over the last year, the convergence of the following factors has increased the volatility, unpredictability, and complexity of the threat environment. The proliferation or, or the proliferation of false or misleading narratives which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. government institutions, continued calls for violence directed at U.S. critical infrastructure and soft targets and mass gatherings, faith-based institutions such as uh, churches, synagogues, mosques, institutions of higher education, racial and religious minorities, 
government facilities and personnel, including law enforcement and the military, the media, and perceived ideological opponents, and calls by foreign terrorist organizations for attacks on the United States based on recent events. So that was a bunch of uh, words, basically to say that they are now defining a terrorism threat as having different ideological beliefs than our government, which you'll see a little bit more. Um, They try to point it out as being foreign threat actors. They try to throw that in there three or four times. So, well, you know, not you there on Instagram, you know, not you over there that we're calling a terrorist. We're calling foreign threat actors, but, but, but they they use the words here because now the, the, the weight that this holds is one that opens up a Pandora's box of legal ramifications for what they can now do to people that they believe is sowing doubt in governmental narratives. So let's go ahead and read a little bit more about this. It says, The primary terrorism-related threat to the United States continues to stem from lone offenders or small cells of individuals who are motivated by a range of foreign and or domestic grievances, often cultivated through the consumption of certain online content. The convergence of violent extremist ideologies false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories have and will continue to contribute to a heightened threat of violence in the United States. Key features contributing to the current heightened threat environment include the proliferation of false or misleading narratives, which sow discord or undermined public trust in U.S. government institutions. So this is a key factor of contribution to the current heightened terrorism threat environment. And it says this, the proliferation of false or misleading narratives, which sow discord to undermine public trust in U.S. government institutions is the number one key factor contributing to this heightened threat environment, according to Homeland Security. That's crazy. The next one they state is continued calls for violence directed at U.S. critical infrastructure, soft targets and mass gatherings, faith-based institutions such as churches, synagogues. We talked about that one. It goes on to say that foreign terrorist organizations and domestic threat actors continue to amplify pre-existing false or misleading narratives online to sow discord and undermine public trust. Violent extremists inspired by a range of grievances. So we kind of already touched on all of these. Um, It also says that as COVID restrictions continue to decrease worldwide and nationwide, increased access to commercial and government facilities and the rising number of mass gatherings could provide increased opportunities for individuals looking to commit acts of violence to do so, often with little or no warning. Meanwhile, COVID mitigation measures, particularly COVID-19 vaccine and mask mandates, have been used by domestic violent extremists to justify violence since 2020. Wow. And could continue to inspire these extremists to target government, healthcare, and academic institutions that they institute with those measures. And none of this is for sure. They give you no reasoning as to why they believe this is now a terrorism threat. Not a single one. They say every single thing on here says could. Everything, right? Could, meanwhile, this could, you know, have been used by domestic extremists to justify violence. It's not about what's going on around them. It's not about things that are happening that make them want to put a, push this out. It's about who they want to go after. You and me. People that disagree with the vaccine and mask mandates. That's literally on this National Terrorism Advisory Bulletin. It's about people who disagree and sow misinformation 
about vaccines and masks. And now you're a terrorist for doing so, for disagreeing with their narrative, which consistently has been wrong. Across the board has been consistently wrong. Now, if you disagree with their wrong narrative, their completely false information, then you can be labeled a terrorist because you have a belief. We are now the thought police and we're utilizing our U.S. government and our U.S., you know, shadow governments like the CIA, Homeland Security, NSA, and CIA, and I think I said CIA, and FBI, which we can now target people as terrorists for disagreeing with you, for disagreeing with our government, for disagreeing with Joe Biden, for disagreeing with, with our governmental institution, which has been wrong over and over and over again. They've been wrong. And now if you disagree with them in the moment, even if they are wrong later, you can be labeled a terrorist. A national terrorist advisory bulletin for people who disagree with Joe Biden and disagree with the vaccine and mask mandate narrative. Crazy. So it also goes on to say that some domestic violent extremists have configured or continued to advocate for violence in response to false or misleading narratives about substanti unsubstantiated election fraud. You know, the election fraud, which has had countless people, countless people arrested for things that are literally election fraud, not to mention the more recent things that have come out about the, you know, the, the GPS tracked uh, you know, mules who are dropping off hundreds, if not thousands of votes for people and taking pictures of them in front of the booths, dropping them off. But now if you disagree with that, or you mention that, and you so, you so doubt in the government, you could now be labeled a terrorist under this advisory. So the next thing is going to say, so then it goes on to say a small numbers of threat actors are attempting, what are threat actors according to them? I would really like to see a, you know, Homeland Security definition of a threat actor. It says a small number of threat actors are attempting to use the evacuation and resettlement of Afghan na nationals following the U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan last year as a means to exacerbate long-standing grievances and justify attacks against, Im against immigrants. But it doesn't give an example. None of these, it gives an example. Not a single one of these doesn't say, hey, this happened, this is going on right now, and so we're raising our heightened, you know, our, our um, terrorism advisory, right? So it says how we are responding. It says that the FBI will continue to share, share timely and actionable information and intelligence with the broadest audience possible. Yeah, the FBI is very well known for sharing all of their great information. It then goes on to say that we conduct reoccurring threat briefings with private sectors and state and local tribal territorial and campus partners, including to inform security planning efforts. Okay, so nothing. They're doing nothing about it. Um, says that the DHS Office of Intelligence and Analysis established a new dedicated domestic terrorism branch to produce the sound, timely intelligence needed to counter related threats. The department expanded its evaluation of online activity as part of its effort to assess and prevent acts of violence while ensuring the privacy rights of civil rights and civil liberties. Wow. Yeah, that's a joke. Yeah, of course. I'm sure you're really ensuring our privacy as a top concern when you're going after literally normal people for having opinions within the domestic, a dedicated domestic terrorism branch. Have we, I'm sorry, have we had a legitimate domestic terrorism threat 
or attack in the United States in the last, I don't know, decade? Sure, there's been like serious mass shootings, which even when they happen and they are more than likely a terrorist act, they don't want to call them that, right? Like what was it? The uh, I, I feel like I'm, I might be wrong here, um, but I, there was the there was that shooting at the. Um, I mean, there's been plenty of shootings. There's been plenty of shootings that could have been labeled terrorist acts that they decided not to label it because it didn't fit their narrative at the time. And now they're gonna lay, they're gonna wholly open a entire office of intelligence and analysis for dedicated domestic terrorism branches. So the next thing it says, in 2001, there was a de designated domestic violence extremism as a national priority area within its Homeland Security grant, resulting in $77 million. Oh, wow, they got money for labeling us terrorism. They're terrorists. That's cool, huh? So it says how you can help. Be prepared. Stay, be safe online. And don't disagree with us, you stupid people, or else we'll make you a terrorist. Interesting. So... I I, th I believe that's probably the more concerning things I've seen come out of our government in a very long time, that they're literally opened up an entire division of the government specifically to spy and label people domestic terrorists for sowing disbelief in our government. For having a belief. We're literally the thought, the thought police now. You know, in, in true Orwellian fashion. We have a thought police. If you disagree and you post it online, there's now going to be a dedicated branch of the U.S. government which is going to label you as a potential terrorist threat. Which is interesting while I talk about this. That's scary. That's scary. So what all comes with that, right? What does that really allow them to do? What, what are, you know, what are we going to do about it is what it says down there. But what really are they going to do about it? They're going to enact the Patriot Act. They're going to spy on every single person who talks about anything that disagrees with their narrative, right? Because they feel like they're losing ground. They feel like they're, they're, they're losing this fight right now and they know it. They're losing the war on information and they're 100% understand this and they're scratching at everything that they can to try to win this war back against people from having free thoughts and, and speaking them out loud or t tweeting them on Twitter, right? They don't want you doing that. Because that's what's, you know, your information is true. And so people believe it. And their information is full of shit. And so now they want to come after you. And, and, and when you can't win an argument, what do you do? You usually turn to labels, right? Many people, if they're losing an argument and they can't, edu you know, ed win the conversation in an educated manner, they'll usually start labeling you as something. Right? They'll usually start to label you as in some way that they can now make you the other. Right, Like we talked about in the episode about the mass formation psychosis. You have to label them the other. Because before you do, they're just like you. And you can't do the horrific things that generally follow this historically. Right, So you have to make them the other. And, and the way that they're trying to make us the other right now is by saying, Hey, if you disagree with us, if you disagree with our information, which has been probably more wrong than correct probably 80% wrong at least I mean that's super just frivolously throwing out a number but very very statistically inaccurate information coming out of our government over the last three years like <laughs> I'd be really interested to see a spreadsheet of all the things that our government said that has been you know held weight and whether or not it was factually accurate and to see what percentage has actually come out within the last two years as being actually accurate because I highly doubt 
it's it's a very high percentage so to me that's really concerning and if you aren't paying attention to this you probably should start to because you know if you are in any of these groups any of these circles listening to podcasts in a podcast and sharing this information you could very well find yourself on on the wrong end of this you know advisory system bulletin which is very concerning just for holding a belief right just for holding a belief now you can be labeled as the other you can be labeled as in this case a potential terrorist because you're sowing disbelief in the government that's horrifying and literally it says this it says these threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to sow discord and undermine public trust in government institutions to encourage unrest, which could potentially, it says, inspire acts of violence. They don't say that this, this, there's been threats of violence. They don't say that there's this rally and all these people are coming in with guns and they're going to, you know, cause all this violence. They don't say that. They say they have thoughts and we don't like those thoughts. And so we're going to label them terrorists. So now we can spy on all of you, every single one of you. We can now spy on you. We can listen into your conversations. We can tap your cell phone. We can do all of this now because we put out this information that says, hey, we don't like what you're thinking. And if you keep thinking that, it may potentially, possibly, with a very, very extremely low statistical likelihood, lead to violence. And because of that belief in my in th their head, because of that belief that it could potentially lead to violence, now you can be labeled a terrorist. This is literally horrifying. Horrifying. <clears throat> the, the, what will be the ramifications of this? What will they now be able to do now that they've put this bulletin out? And this was released a week ago. What are they going to be able to do now? They're going to be able to enact the Patriot Act for sure if they're labeling you a terrorist because that's what the Patriot Act is for. So now because if you sow disbelief by disagreeing with their narratives, you could now be labeled a terrorist. Horrifying. So on that note, let's move on to the next topic, which is discussing the uh, Freedom Rally, the Freedom Convoy. And this article says Canadian leader Justin Trudeau invokes emergency powers to end disruptive protests. So, it says Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Monday invoked emergency powers to disband the truckers and other demonstrators who have been clogging the streets in Canadian capital of Ottawa and blocked borders crossing elsewhere to protest COVID-19 restrictions. In invoking Canada's emergency acts, which give the federal government broad powers to restore order, Trudeau ruled out using the military and said the action would be limited in time and targeted to the trouble spots. Wow, that's really reassuring. Um, it is no longer a lawful protest at a disagreement over government policy. It is now an illegal occupation. They're literally just playing a word game because these people aren't making money. You don't think, you know how much money truckers make? Truckers make great money. These people are not making more money by sitting there with their trucks, not moving with businesses not making an income. Now it's an illegal occupation. So all they have to do is label it as that, and now they're no longer allowed to say the words that you want to say, because now you're no longer protesting, you're having a legal job. 
because people donated to you. And then they wouldn't even give you the money. Don't you have to eventually be paid to, for it to be an occupation? You don't just get to work for free and then not get paid because the government decides to take your money anyways. Which is what they tried to do with Give, Send, Go. That's not an occupation. You're literally protesting. And they're in the same time, they're pouring out gallons of fuel. Right? Putting out fires. Taking firewood away. When it's probably like negative 10 in Ottawa right now. And they want to freeze these people out. So, it says, and goes on to say, um, basically that the, when he invokes these, these powers... Um, it allows him to use, you know, same way that they're invoking that power from the, the National Terrorism Advisory Bulletin. The second that they get to say these words, you, you do not have, this is what this tells me, in both of these countries. You do not have the right to think. You absolutely do not have the right to think on your own. We'll give you that thought until we really don't like it. If we really don't like what you're saying, or you do it for too long to where we think we're going to lose, we're going to now label you a terrorist, which is what they did in the United States on February 7th, and what they did for through Justin Trudeau, and this was on February 14th, so yesterday. So within a week of each other, both Canada and the U.S. labeled their own citizens terrorists because they had differing beliefs than what the government holds, and they were expressing them truly terror ter terrifying terrifying on both accounts and if you're a trucker and you're in ottawa right now more power to you because that's the only way that this is gonna this is gonna end it's the only way the vaccine passports are gonna end it's the only way that we're gonna win this information battle right that's why i'm sitting here talking about these things seven days after you get labeled a thought terrorist if you disagree with the government and on that, on the backs of that, you know, we're seeing what's happening in Russia, right? In the, in the last two days, three days, the, the Ukrainian border has basically been flooded with about 70% of Russians' military just surrounding the border. And as a response, Joe Biden seems to think that it's time for us to go to war to back Ukraine, which we've never seemed to have any type of vested interest in before this. Um, so let's go ahead and watch what Biden has to say on this Russia situation. Then we're going to talk about Biden's role within the military industrial complex. And then we're going to talk about the history of the military industrial complex a little bit. So stick around with me here. Um, but before we do that, what I need you to do, if you didn't do it already, if you didn't get that good karma, <laughs> is go ahead and press that subscribe button. Um, I'd appreciate it so much. Um, Go ahead and press it. Every single week, we'll be putting out episodes. We'll be talking about new topics. We'll be discussing things that they don't want you discussing, obviously, and uh, hopefully expanding, you know, I I expanding the base of people who are starting to wake up to this madness that is going on around us. So, stay along with us. Join the revolution. Press that subscribe button. Um, the next thing I'd like to offer is if you are finding value in this, if you have been a subscriber um, and you truly find value in what I'm doing here, I would ask that you head over, please, in any way, shape, or form to support the podcast. I don't make literally like nothing out of this. Somebody said, <laughs> somebody said on Instagram that, uh, what did they say? Uh, I, I have to hold these, this side of the opinions because it's my job <laughs> because I make, I, it's, it's for profit. And, uh, that's not true. I make 
if I, you know, drew out my hours, I've probably made like <clears throat> less than 10 cents per hour. I truly enjoy talking about these things. I truly enjoy the, you know, the, the um, community that we've built around these conversations and how thirsty the world is for this. Um, and if you've enjoyed that too, I would ask that you do support the podcast in some way, shape or form, whether that's subscribing and listening to every week, if you don't have the means to, you know, donate any amount to this cause. Um, but if you do, I would appreciate you heading over to redpillrevolution.givesengo.com slash redpillrevolution. Givesengo.com slash redpillrevolution and donate whatever it is to you that this means. And, and if that's $2, $5, $100, $1,000, <laughs> whatever this means to you, I would appreciate it so much. And uh, I'm sure my family would too with how much time I spend on this. <laughs> so um, the other thing you can do is go to our link tree. And on Linktree, um, there's actually a tip jar right on there. You can, you know, it's like five bucks, 10 bucks, you know, a dollar, whatever it is that, that this means to you or that you can donate at this time. I would really, really appreciate it. It encourages me to keep going and uh, makes my wife think that I'm, you know, actually doing something with my time. So <laughs> uh, anyways, let's go on to the next topic. Let's go ahead and watch this Biden Russia video here. Um, and see what he has to say. This was today on the 15th, him discussing, which says, uh, President Biden, this is about standing for what we believe in. So here it is. If Russia decides to invade, that would also have consequences here at home. But the American people understand that defending democracy and liberty is never without cost. This is a cause that unites Republicans and Democrats. And I want to thank the leaders and members of Congress of both parties who forcefully spoken out in defense of our most basic, most bipartisan, most American principles. I will not pretend this will be painless. There could be impact on our energy prices. So we are taking active steps to alleviate the pressure on our own energy markets and offset raising prices. So I think the the important thing to see from that, and there's this was an 11 minute clip, which I'll include in the podcast companion on Substack. So um, go check it out there. But I think the important part of that there was, you know, it's it's so interesting to me how these politicians like try and like uh, assume the sale, like they, they you know that's how we we call it in sales, right? Is like if I use the words as if you're already gonna buy from me then the likelihood that you buy from me is higher. So what he says there is, Americans understand that this is going to impact us here at home. Um, you know, Americans understand and are willing to fight this battle. It's like, no, we're not. We're not the ones profiting off of this. You know who's profiting off of this is probably Hunter Biden there in some way with his beautiful paintings. Um, you know, the people who are, who are making money off of this are the people who are lobbied by, you know, Lockheed and Martin and, you know, all of these military industrial complex corporations, which have embedded themselves into our political spectrum since the forties or since the cold war, at least. Um, so he, he tries to use that in his speech, right? At least he's given that you can see with how much he's squinting at the teleprompter that he's really trying to read these words. Cause if he doesn't, he's going to just fall off the rails. <laughs> um, so he says there, you know, men and women in the United States understand that we're going to have to give something up. And what that something might be is horrific gas prices and energy prices. You know, 
trying to find a way to, you know, and this might even like come back to the Freedom Convoy for all we know, that they're trying to find a reason to point at something else other than their mandates. Because if you really start to feel the gas prices raising and you also are on the side of the Freedom Convoy, you really might start to put the heat on the government, especially from the United States standpoint. So this could entirely be a facade to try and, you know, pass the buck essentially and try to make it seem like it's not their fault for imposing vaccine mandates on Canadian truckers that the gas prices raised like crazy and that the supply chain is basically going to have a, a really big issue over the next few months when the freedom convoy continues as a result of these totalitarian mandates which need to end no you don't need to label the freedom convoy terrorists no you do not need to label people who disagree with the united states government terrorists what you need to do is get rid of these stupid ass mandates on governments or on on corporate institutions and on truckers trying to pass through the border to deliver your amazon fucking package what you need to do is stop these bullshit mandates not blame russia in literally invading ukraine for rising energy prices now, I'm not saying that if Russia goes to war with Ukraine, then it's not going to have an effect because we, I believe we do get a large portion of our um, fossil fuels from Russia specifically, like a, a very large percentage, um, which could very well impact that because of the sanctions that we're going to impose on Ukraine. Um, but just know that this, you know, we haven't had a legitimate war in how long and, and, and how, you know, Joe Biden comes becomes president and within a year we get out of Afghanistan and almost immediately, immediately, how, how long ago did we get out of Afghanistan? How long ago did we get out of Afghanistan? Three months, four months. I don't even know. Less than six months ago, we left Afghanistan. And then almost immediately, we begin to find a way to embed ourselves in some other random ass country we have no business being in under the name of democracy. Right. And I've seen a ton of people say it and I haven't dove deep into the politics of Ukraine. Um, but but I see a ton of people saying that, you know, Ukraine isn't even a legitimate democracy. And the only reason that we're trying to fight this war, you know, is is basically to keep the war machine turning. Right. As as the uh, Black Sabbath war pigs song goes. If you haven't, you know, I was listening to this the, to War Pigs right before I started this. Black Sabbath War Pigs is the single most spine-chilling song about the military-industrial complex. So go listen to it. And the theme of this podcast, once this is over, um, go ahead and listen to War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Because if you haven't heard it in a little, a little while, you need to hear it. Because the, the words are truer now than ever. Um, and it's like an ominous, ominous, deep seated, you know, uh, theme song within the military industrial complex. But, um, but these are the war pigs, you know, Joe Biden's the war pigs, the, the, the chief of staff is the war pigs, the, you know, um, the corporations that are need this, that need us to jump immediately from Afghanistan over into Ukraine. Because when you have a entire I mean, how much money do we spend on our military? Trillions of dollars. Ima okay, imagine this. If you're, if you are, uh, let's see, what's a good example? Um, let's use the, you know, let's use, uh, let's use the airline industry. 
Okay. Imagine this. If the airline industry decided that, hey, we're going to continue staffing all of our people, but we're not going to fly anymore. How well do you think that would go for the shareholders of the airline industry? You know, how well do you think Boeing would be doing if, hey, we have to keep all of these people staffed, but we're no longer going to have flights, at least for the foreseeable future? How long do you think that Boeing or Delta, I guess Delta is a better one because Boeing made the planes and they're making their profit anyways, but Delta and Boeing's actually a huge military industrial complex player when it comes to the actual, you know, aircrafts and things, but the, one of the biggest military industrial complex corporations. But how well do you think Delta would do, would do if they maintained their staff while also not flying out? They would go under within like three, four months. You can't maintain a corporation without paying, finding a way to continue the money coming in. You have to do what you were designed to do. And it's the same place, same case in the military. If you have however many soldiers and however many you know, planes flying in the air on a regular basis. And, you know, I am wearing this Air, U.S. Air Force shirt because I served in the Air Force. I served my time in the Air Force. Served a four-year contract in the Air Force as an air traffic controller um, between the age of 18 and 22. And so I'm not somebody just coming in here and speaking on these things frivolously. I am a patriot. I went into the military to fight for my country. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I thought everybody got a gun for some reason at 18. Um, but I went in to fight for my country. I am a patriot. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in the flag that flies over our great nation. But I do not believe in this government, this whole system. I do not believe in Joe Biden's way of trying to incite this war. And if I was in the military right now, I would be highly concerned about the direction, especially given the vaccine mandate status, especially given, you know, the, the, the lingering NATO potential world war that could be incited as a result of all of the countries that are going to could potentially get involved in this small conflict in Ukraine. I would be highly concerned if I was in the military right now. Um, so I speak from the heart. I could very well have been 18 right now joining the military and been under Joe Biden. And that seriously concerns me. As, as a father, as a, as a man, um, a military-aged man, and a veteran, mind you. Um, so I'm not just speaking on these things frivolously. I'm not speaking on them because I, I have no experience with the military. I was active duty in the military. And because of that, it concerns me even more. And so to me, you have to, you have to keep the war machine turning because the second that you're not, you're no longer in a conflict. We have 800 plus military bases across the country or across the world. I'm sorry. That would be nuts if we had to cross the country. Um, 800 military bases in the world and many, probably more than that. If you include the ones that we don't talk about. Um, so how well do you think that business would do if they just said, eh, we're done with war? We think that we should be a peaceful nation, and we think that we should not involve ourselves in the wars of countries that, you know, our citizens should not shed blood over. How well do you think that would fare for our military as a business? And how well do you think that would fare for the trillion-dollar industry of military-industrial complex corporations that are involved in the lobbying that got Joe Biden even put into place so that the puppeteers could sit there between George Soros and the Rockefeller Foundation and pull his little weekend at Bernie strings to get him to incite these wars. 
How well do you think that would go for them if they just decided to stop? And so you cannot stop. That is the war machine. That is the military-industrial complex. And it has to keep moving. The second we pull out of Afghanistan, we have to embed our military somewhere else and find a new conflict to put American lives at stake for. Because if they stop, they will stop making money. They will no longer have their business model. And then what? They're just, called, you know, CEO of Lockheed and Martin or Boeing is just going to call it a day and go, I made enough money, guys. I had enough power. No, of course not. They have to find a way. And whether that's embedding threat actors, according to this online terrorist uh, lingo, um, or whether that's sowing this like narrative around the Ukrainian-Russian uh, conversation to make it you think and, and convince you that we should be shedding American blood over this Russian conflict. So... Let's go on and let's let's learn a little bit about this Joe Biden military industrial complex conversation. Um, I think it's an important one. I have uh, this is by the Hill, so we get to watch some of our <laughs> favorite uh, favorite people here um, discuss these topics. So um, let's go ahead and watch this uh, Hill, which talks about um, exposing Biden's deep state ties to the military industrial complex. Biden's record on many of these things and his cozy relationship to these companies. So many of these consultancies are a total black box in terms of clients. So we really don't know who they work for. Even after all of this research, I can only tell you about a couple of their clients. So it's a lot of guesswork, but we can see what folks say publicly when they talk about foreign policy interests, and it's quite militaristic. So it really raises questions about are they being influenced by their clients? Now, a President Biden, that is still coming into fruition, what his foreign policy would look like. We know he would uh, have a close relationship with someone like Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, that doesn't really reflect the progressive push within the party. So really, it's these personal relationships that uh, Biden has had and developed over three or four decades that might have more cachet in his administration than actual policies. That was one of the other interesting aspects of your reporting here was basically the way that Biden has operated internationally. I mean, it kind of reminded me of the way that we think about Trump's foreign policy. It's all about like relationships and glad handing and like who you trust and who you have a close buddy buddy feel for. And you basically argue that Biden has essentially taken that same personality driven approach to foreign policy. Just elaborate a little bit on that. Well, I think Biden is known and, and will often say he knows these leaders. I would make a big distinction with President Trump, who really has no idea what he's doing on foreign policy. What we're talking about with Biden is someone who's really using these personal relationships to advance really mainstream, really typical foreign policy ideas that are all too well known in Washington and frankly haven't worked. I mean, I remember when uh, Vice President Biden was in Israel in 2010. Uh, Netanyahu announces a huge amount of settlements, and he's still, four years later, saying that Netanyahu is a buddy of his. So we're really talking about a status quo, not as destructive as a Trump foreign policy, but still, uh, you know, not going to make any massive changes. There's a whole industry of think tanks, research institutions, consultancies that are all banking on a return to normal in the Biden presidency, and that's really what these folks represent. 
I'm really glad that you said that because it's it's so important to understand kind of the think tank industrial complex in D.C. that also is very much intertwined with uh, many of these defense contractors. Jonathan, can you weigh, lay out a little bit about what this means in practical terms for Iraq and Afghanistan, two of the most important measures? One of the better parts of your piece was actually just about Biden has a very strange record where he like has shamed, showed restraint, but also backed the most disastrous leader like in Iraqi history with Nouri al-Maliki and has just showed terrible instincts in many cases. Can you lay into that a little bit? Well, let me first say it's very common for research institutions in Washington to get a huge amount of defense funding. While Michelle Flournoy was running a think tank, it received at least $4 million worth of funding from defense contractors. It's hard to not say that this would influence ideas. All right. So not exactly what we were hoping to see as far as the actual content there, but they touched on a few things, which was basically that the two of the main advisors that Biden had originally, and that was a year old clip or so because they were still discussing Afghanistan. Um, but two of the advisors by of Biden's advisors, including one who spoke on this specific Ukraine um, situation within the last week, uh, had immediate ties to the, you know, military industrial complex. Um, so let's see if we can find, there was a clip about him, um, where, where the, the advisor himself, the national security advisor, what's this j- clown's name? He looks like the guy from, uh, what is that Adam Sandler movie? Uh, who's the guy with the, it's like Adam Sandler's buddy who like his eye looks this way in happy Gilmore. Not the big dude, but uh, anyways, he looks like the clown of Adam Sandler's uh, buddy. Um, Anyways, his name is Jake Sullivan. He's the national security advisor, and he was specifically named um, in that video as being one who had ties to the military industrial complex before we even got to this point. And now he, this Jake Sullivan, is saying that the White House, um, or they are saying that Russia could invade Ukraine before the Olympics end, which is, you know around the same time, and that was four days ago that he said that, and that's around the same time that the Ukrainian president said yesterday, basically, that he expects an invasion on Wednesday. Then he came out and said that he was being ironic or joking, um, which the, the, the message that he had on Facebook was not ironic at all. Um, it was not funny at all. He wasn't joking. He was specifically saying that he was going to, uh, you know, basically invade uh, or the invasion was going to happen on Wednesday, specifically called it out as being on Wednesday Um, and then backtracked almost immediately. And there are a lot of financial institutions and things plummeted as a result. So let's go ahead. We'll read what he said. So this is the president of Ukraine said this on Facebook uh, on uh, yesterday, which was um, the 14th. So it says, great people of a great country. There have been a serious, there has been serious external and internal challenges in front of our country, which require responsibility, confidence, and concrete actions from me and each one of us. We are intimidated by a great war and once again set the date of the military invasion. This is not the first time, but our state is stronger today than ever. We strive for peace and we want to solve all issues exclusively through negotiations. In Donbass and Crimea, will return to Ukraine. Only in a diplomatic way. We don't stare at someone else's, but we won't give our own. We have an amazing army. Our boys have unique combat experience and modern weaponry. This is already times stronger than army 
eight years ago. We are confident in our armed forces and our military too should feel our support, our togetherness and our unity. The basis of our army is the confidence of our own people and a strong economy. He then went on to say, <clears throat> oh, he then went on to say here that we are intimidated by a great war. We talked about that. <clears throat> um, we are told that February 16th will be the day of the attack. We will make it a union day. The decree has already been signed. This afternoon, we will hang national flags, put on yellow and blue ribbons, and show the world our unity. And then came out and said, well, at least the presidential advisor, Mikhailo Podoliak, said that Zelensky was being not literal, but ironic when he said that February 16th will be the day of the attack. Zelensky wrote that the Ukrainian government was told that Wednesday would be the day of the attack as he announced a new decree to establish a National Day of Unity, increasing funding of military service people, and accelerate the development of defenses and create an information system to apprise citizens of the national situation. We're working to get the... Okay. So, basically, super weird that the Ukrainian president said, yeah, the 16th is when it's happening. It's happening on Wednesday. But... Just kidding. Could you could you imagine if you lived in Ukraine and your president was like, yeah, three days from now, Russia's going to come across our border and you literally see tanks lining up and being, you know, ran on trains over to your border. And you see the Russian government flying, you know, hundreds of military aircraft over your border and helicopters coming in just like droves over towards your, your country. And then your president comes out and says, Wednesday, get ready. It's going down. Just kidding. What the fuck? What in the world? If our president said that, if they said, you know, Russia's at our border and they said Wednesday, you know, today's Sunday, Wednesday, they're going to invade. We know they're going to invade. We're going to be together. We're going to have unity. We're going to be, you know, we believe in our military. We have, you know, great weaponry. Wednesday's when it's all going to go down. Just kidding. Like, how terrifying. Could you imagine being a mother of, you know, children that's in a city by the border where you see these Russian forces, you know, having a, their, their strongholds? And seeing this military presence by Russia, and your 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 president says in four days that you should be ready for war, and then says, "I'm being ironic." How, how do you how do you justify that? How do you believe your president? And what does this do for his citizens? Um, if you were one of them, and your belief of listening to your government, if they give you a date, and then say that they were uh, of invasion by a, a a worldwide superpower. And then say that they were kidding. <clears throat> like, could you imagine? That's that's terrifying. It makes no sense. So, you know, I, I, I posted this. And uh, people had some stuff to say about it. Which was basically that... Uh, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll, we'll sift through some of your comments here. Some people... The, one of the top comments said, Something weird is going on. Yep. Um, I smell deep state is another thing that somebody said. Which is absolutely... Um, another person said, uh, let's go ahead. Let's sift through some of these said, 
it was ironic because that was not the case until the U.S. and its allies started sending troops to the borders. The U.S. wants to expand NATO and take everybody's attention off of this. And they gave a link, and that was from um, somebody with the handle of A-D-E-V-E-R-E-A-U-9-1. I'm not going to butcher your name, but uh, thanks for the link. Let's go ahead and check this out. <clears throat> this says that Nuremberg awaits... Uh, Let's go ahead and see what this has to say here. Let's watch this video, at least a portion of it, and see if it has any value. Members of the jury, we will call a number of different highly renowned expert witnesses from all walks of science, but also witnesses who will testify to the damage that they suffered as a result of getting the experimental injections in this trial. After our opening statements, we will start off in a week from now by calling former members, a member of the U.S. military, James Bush, who participated in Operation Dark Winter in 2001, former members of the British intelligence services, Brian Garish and Alex Thompson, and investigative journalists Whitney Webb and Matthew Arrett, former World Health Organization employees and advisors, Dr. Sylvia Behrendt and Dr. Astrid Stuckelberger. They will explain to us the historical and geopolitical background of what we are confronted with. And they will show to us how this agenda has been planned for at least 20 years, start, starting with Operation Dark Winter in 2001, um, and some 10 years uh, later, the lockstep scenar scenario by the Rockefeller Foundation, ending with the dress rehearsal, Event 201, in October of 2019. And, the, and they will explain how... All right. Well, you lied to me, <laughs> whatever your Instagram handle was. That does not discuss the Ukrainian situation. Um, but let's go the ahead and, and look back at what people. you said about it, just to verify. Um, I, I don't see how that has anything to do with it. So, um, But I, I do think that you're right. And, and the Ukrainian president came out and said this at one point, where he said that, they're, you go, stop talking about Russia as if they're going to invade us. We don't believe that yet. We don't think that's what's going to go on. And when we did a little bit more of a deep dive into this a couple episodes ago where I tried to figure out what the hell was going on in Russia with Ukraine, we found out that basically they're trying to invade Ukraine over some type of like territory dispute and oil and all of this other stuff. Um, but the other things that were, were going on behind the scenes was that basically that, that was involving the United States and NATO was that by, or, or Putin said that he did not want NATO allowing Ukraine to join NATO as a, as a part of NATO itself, because that would give them overarching, and then he, obviously Putin didn't, Putin didn't say this, but that would obviously give Ukraine some sort of protection if they're a part of NATO, right? So now they couldn't be overthrown or overtaken by Russia. Um, so, you know, so he said, I don't want them to be a part of NATO. He also said that they, he does not want, you know, like military, uh, like, um, armament by NATO in Ukraine as a result. So, because then that would involve NATO and, and a country like the United States in a war with Russia eventually. And Russia doesn't want a world war. Russia wants this piece of land that Ukraine occupies in some way for some reason, which we, from our in conversation a few episodes ago, found out seemed to be about some sort of territory dispute and, uh, you know, oil dispute um, for, for resources in, in Crimea and a few other parts of Ukraine. 
Um, but, it, you know, where, where do we come into play with this is because we're a part of NATO and because he doesn't want us to be a part of, you know, he doesn't want Ukraine to be allowed into NATO and some other things like that. So, um, but bes beside the original point, let's go ahead and, and pull up some of this other conversation here, which is the um, conversation surrounding, you know, and I think that we talked about a pretty, pretty well earlier with the military industrial complex. Like you can't continue to pay these people if there's no reason for them to be training constantly for a war that may never happen in the next decade. So you have to keep the wars going to keep the money flowing. Dang, that was some Dr. Seuss red pill shit. You gotta keep the wars going to keep the money flowing. Boom. Military industrial complex. All right. So <laughs> um, now the next thing we're going to look at here will be uh, some conversations surrounding the military industrial complex, what the military industrial complex really um, is, and uh, some, some people who discussed it. Now, the first one that I think is interesting is a conversation that was had by Tulsi Gabbard surrounding the military industrial complex. And she speculates why the U.S. and military industrial complex wants a war in Ukraine. Um, so what this says, and it's not a video, so I'll, I'll touch on it fairly quickly here. I'll try to read it quick, quicker than usual, um, is basically that uh, claims by the West that Russia is getting ready to attack Ukraine. <clears throat> this was on the 13th, so two days ago from when I'm reading it, um, that the West or claims by the West that Russia is getting ready to attack Ukraine have reached a fever pitch in recent days. With the White House asking Americans to leave the country ASAP and U.S. media claiming an invasion will start next week. Russia officials say NATO is pumping up tensions to justify putting more troops um, <clears throat> in Eastern Europe. So the U.S. military industrial complex needs a war in Ukraine to justify new arms spending and to solidify a new all-out Cold War with Russia. Former U.S. Congresswoman and Demo De Democratic presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard has alleged. She said to on the Tucker Carlson show, first of all, illegitimate President Biden could end this crisis and prevent a war with Russia by doing something very simple, guaranteeing that Ukraine will not become a member of NATO. Because if Ukraine became a, a member of NATO, that would put U the US and NATO troops directly on the doorstep of Russia, which as Putin has laid out, would undermine their national security interests. The reality is that it is highly, highly unlikely that Ukraine will become a, a member of NATO anyways which is something that Putin actually said, um, they, they would become a part of NATO anyways. So the question is, why doesn't illegitimate President Biden and NATO leaders actually won't just say that and guarantee it? Why are we in this position then? <clears throat> if the answer to this in preventing this war is very clear, really it just points to one conclusion that I can see is they actually want Russia to invade Ukraine. Why would they? Because number one, it gives the Biden administration a clear excuse to levy draconian sanctions, which are a modern day siege against Russia and the Russian people. And number two, it cements this Cold War in place. The military industrial complex is one that benefits from this completely. They clearly control the Biden administration. <clears throat> Warmongers on both sides in Washington have been drumming up these tensions. The former active duty National Guards woman, who is Tulsi Gabbard, who has had two tours in the Middle East under her belt, including a deployment in Iraq, emphasized that the military industrial complex would make a ton more money than it has in the so-called war on terror fighting Al-Qaeda or making weapons for Al-Qaeda. Who pays the price, she added. The American people pay the price. The Ukrainian people pay the price. The Russian people pay the price. It undermines our own national security. 
But the military-industrial complex that controls so many of our politicians wins, and they run to the bank, she said. So, very similar to what I just told you, right? I guess I, I, guess I know more than I thought I did. <laughs> Is that it, it, for them to just come out and say that we're not going to allow Ukraine to be a part of NATO, and that we're not going to put troops on the border of Ukraine, makes sure that there's going to be no conflict for the U.S. people or for the U.S. soldiers anyways, or for Russia, or for a bigger NATO conflict outside of this Ukrainian issue. And maybe Ukraine would have never be invaded in the first place if this wasn't an issue. <clears throat> so, good on Tulsi Gabbard for uh, being smart enough to say the things that I said. <laughs> Just kidding, Tulsi. Um, so, let's go ahead and watch a quick conversation of Trump um, talking about the military-industrial complex. And then we'll watch a couple other very short clips, including Eisenhower's speech regarding the military-industrial complex. And then we'll go ahead and call it a day. <clears throat> Here is Donald Trump on the military-industrial complex. Well, I'm the one that talks, well, about, the one that talks about these wars that are 19 years and people are just there. And don't kid yourself, you do have a military-industrial complex. They do like war. You know, in Syria with the caliphate, so I wipe out 100% of the caliphate. That yeah. doesn't mean you're not going to have these crazy people going around blowing up stores and blowing up things. These are seriously ill people. I don't want to say, oh, they're wiped out, you know, ISIS. But I wiped out 100% of the caliphate. I say, I want to bring our troops back home. The place went crazy. They want to keep, they, you have people here in Washington. They never want to leave. I say, you know what I'll do? I'll leave a couple of hundred soldiers behind. But if it was up to them, they'd bring thousands of soldiers in. Someday people will explain it. Well, this but, is an but example. You do, have, you do have a group, and they call it the military industrial complex. They never want to leave. They always want to fight. No, I don't want to fight. But you do have situations like Iran. You can't let them have nuclear okay. weapons. You just can't let that happen. So I gave the generals. I said, go ahead. You got one year. See what you can do in Afghanistan. So they fight and fight and fight. But, you know, we've taken it way down in Afghanistan. I don't know if you've seen that, Steve. We've taken it way down. Now, it's a rough place. It's a bad place. A lot of bad things happen. The World Trade Center bombers were sort of... That's like the Harvard University right. of terrorism, okay? If you want to be a terrorist, you go over there, okay? Right? So there's one, right? One president who spoke about the military-industrial complex, one of only two presidents ever, really, to mention it, and the other one being Eisenhower. And it was a very candid conversation that he said, and he only said a couple things about it, um, which was basically that, yes, you do have people who need war to survive economically, and it is the warmongers. It is the military-industrial complex. And if you, gave it, if, you, if you gave them the opportunity, they would put your son and my son and your daughter, and your daughter, to your daughters, if you have two of them. And then one of my daughters, they would put our sons and daughters in harm's way to pick up weapons, to fire against other people who are also controlled and paid for by the same people. So that they can profit off of both sides, right? If you can, if you can incite you know, let's let's imagine this. You post posters all over school. All over school. You post all the posters that you can 
about this huge snowball fight that's happening at the end of the day outside this huge snowball fight and you you start making things up about the seventh graders talking shit about the eighth graders and it's all going to go down on this snowball fight and then you go outside and you make hundreds of snowballs hundreds of snowballs and you pack them up and you put those snowballs in a big pile and then you ask Every single person who you incited this fight, this snowball fight was incited by you. You posted the posters all over. You spread the propaganda. You started the war. And then you packaged the needed goods to allow the war to happen. And you sold them at a ridiculous profit. You're standing in front of the snowballs and you're taking a dollar per snowball and you got hundreds of them. And you know every single one of the seventh graders is going to buy them. And then you're going to go and you're going to have your buddy make a bunch of snowballs on the other side of, of, of the park so that the eighth graders can grab them and you all can meet in the middle and figure it out. But guess what? It was incited by the same people who are profiting from it. It's crazy, right? And, and, and they want you to send your children into the The reason I went into the military, the reason I went into the military was because I couldn't afford to go to school at 18. And so I wanted to get my school paid for. And that's the reason you have tons of other kids. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be in the military. I think that there's a lot of situations where the military is a good thing for a lot of people. If you come from a very difficult background or a rough neighborhood and you don't have a direction, you know, it can do some very good things for you. It did some very good things for me. I'm happy I went in. I, I, you know, I got a lot out of it. Um, and I grew up quick and, you know, I, I have my life because of it. But, you know, not, not if that means shedding the blood of my son over you know, your seventh and eighth grade snowball fight that you incited to begin with, right? And then profited off of. So let's go ahead and watch Eisenhower's speech on the military industrial complex. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, Three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now, this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new 
in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. So interesting enough, that is one of two presidents, as far as my knowledge goes, that... Hello. Hello. <laughs> in case you're wondering, that was uh, John F. Kennedy saying hello in a following video. Um, that is one of two presidents who has ever mentioned the military-industrial complex, to my knowledge. Um, and, and did it in his farewell speech for a reason, right? A very spine-chilling reason, which is interesting enough with John F. Kennedy saying hello. Um, anyways, so there was a couple things that I had mentioned, um, on my story this week on Instagram where I asked, you know, what do you want to know? What do you know about the military industrial complex? And, uh, I'm going to kind of go through a couple of those for you guys. So the first one, um, is, is the Russia Ukraine, uh, thing to bolster Biden at home? Um, so I think that that kind of implies the fact that, uh, to bolster him would mean to kind of make him look in a better light. You know, I, I think it could be taking away. Uh, you know, maybe to them, it could possibly be trying to put him in a position where he, he has the opportunity to look good based on looking powerful through our military positioning or, or in, you know, in some way engaging, hopefully not in some way in this war. Um, but I don't think specifically is it is regarding Biden. I think that it has to do with the NATO relations. And I think that's a little bit bigger picture than what the one that Biden plays. But I do think that Biden is the puppeteer in which the people who are playing this game um, are utilizing to make points. So if you understand that, you can say that in some way it's being utilized um, for Biden, um, but mostly it's being utilized through Biden to, you know, impose these belief systems. Um, so, you know, the same reason he's squinting looking at the teleprompter is, you know, <clears throat> Who wrote that? Or at least who was paid to, you know, who paid the person to write that script for him? And so that's who it's bolstering. You know, it's bolstering the agenda of the people who have vested interest in this situation happening, which is, again, goes back to the military industrial complex. So I hope that answers your question. Um, now, the next question, uh, and that was by uh, I am not Jensen Button. Um, now, the next question was, uh, Let's see here. Um, what is it in a single sentence for a kid to understand? So like the, the Reddit explain like I'm five. So I wish I, I would have written this out, but I, I think that the military industrial complex is an industry that profits solely from the bloodshed of government and worldwide conflicts. 
And the only way for them to continue profit is through inciting additional worldwide conflicts. And that's what we saw with the immediate change from Afghanistan within months, leaving Afghanistan and now going into some type of conflict with uh, potentially with Russia from the United States standpoint. Um, so I think that's the way to put it is, is the industry of bloodshed and conflict and war, um, but specifically the industry of, you know, producing goods, materials and, and the corporations that are involved in them, which uh, engage in profitable actions only when there is specifically conflict. Right. And so they have to perpetuate that. You know, it's like if you want, you know, specifically the, the military industrial complex is referring to the entities which profit from war through selling and pushing the goods, which in turn uh, incentivizes them to incite additional conflicts. Right. It's like that, you know, goes back to the snowball analogy that I just used there for you. And then I think there was one more here that I'm going to touch on, and that that one was uh, A S C E N S I O N underscore two four seven Ascension underscore two four seven. Ask that question. So, um, thank you for that. And then, uh, hopefully, that answered a couple of these, which I see were like you know basic understandings. Um, another person said, "I know that we were, or, I know that we were the only terror in the war on terror." Um, and then let's see what else, how to dismantle it. So that's probably a great question to end on here. How do we dismantle the military industrial complex? Well, I would say that there's a reason that they're trying to get your approval. There is a reason for the propaganda. There is a reason that Joe Biden feels the need to assume the sale and squint at a teleprompter so he can try and read the proper sounds to make out of his mouth so that you agree with the idea that we should send our children to war over Ukraine. The way that we begin to dismantle this is not allowing ourselves to be duped. The way that we dismantle this is through education, through understanding the idea that our military you know, industrial complex or our governmental structures or our politicians do not have our vested interest in mind. And I think understanding that will allow us to have a voice because when we started showing up at the school board meetings, shit started to change, right? Like things started to happen. And so if we become educated and, and we decide not to engage, you know, and educate our children even more so, so that if they are going to go into the military, that they decide to not renew their contract when there are things happening, because that, that contract is, is the only way that the military industrial complex gets to perpetuate this is by paying people to push their agenda. Because as the war pig song goes, you know, they're sitting up on their high horse and having nothing to do with the war while they send our children to go shed their blood on behalf of their profits. So educating ourselves, educating our children to realize when we should be pushing these agendas and when we shouldn't be, you know, not just, you know, blindly following what our leaders have to say, but educating ourselves so that when they're saying something that's off or wrong or inspired by profit, we can identify that and go, oh, we see what you're doing. I'm not sending my child or my child's not going to decide 
to go fight for you when this is why you want them to fight. We, we have to make a vested decision when we as people, as, as Americans, as soldiers are going to fight these wars. And obviously you can't throw up your contract in the world because they'll come after you and throw you in jail if you decide to go AWOL or decide that you're not going to continue your contract. But every four years, you get that decision again. And if enough people make a moral decision that we're not going to go shed our own blood so that you can perpetuate your profit, that's one way. You know, so, but it begins with, uh, and I think that would be a moral decision made over time by the people who, you know, who educate themselves, not that we're like, you know, asking you to do that right now. Um, you know, that would be your own decision that you would come to by getting educated about these topics and not feeling right about going over there and, and, and enacting these, uh, you know, um, engagements, you know, getting in, in, in these conflicts over things that, you know, you don't morally agree with because soldiers who have very low morale tend to not, you know, stick around too long. And that morale comes, you know, I'm sure there's a reason that morale and morals are so closely aligned, right? So that would be one way, right? Education really is the real, the real answer, the overarching systemic answer to that though, because a lot of people just listen to Joe Biden and go, yeah, of course we should go defend them. They're a democracy and the world would be better if we had a democracy. Meanwhile, the left's trying to, you know, is blowing up, trying to justify both defending democracy and trying to tear it down. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's an interesting conflict. You must find yourself as a, a liberal individual trying to justify a war over saving democracy and uh, capitalism while also simultaneously tearing down the institution with your pink hair and uh, identity issues. Um <laughs> anyways uh so yeah that that would be my answer education um and on that note guys thank you so much for listening um i appreciate it so much it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see, see what happens over these next few days this is truly the first legitimate conflict that i've seen unfold unfold that has the potential of turning into something larger in my lifetime um at least that i was old enough to really partake in politically and have an opinion on um so it is very interesting so i'm going to be keeping a close eye on this and i think you should too if nothing other than to educate yourself to see about you know going back to what is that dismantling um and not to uh not give a shout out to the person who sent that that was uh sent in by uh nat N-A-S-K-Z-750, Nas-K-Z-750. So, um, yeah, so um, interesting stuff. Let's see what happens. Let's see what unfolds. In the meantime, go ahead, press that subscribe button. Go ahead and subscribe to Substack. And if you found enough value in this, head over to givesengo.com slash redpillrevolution. And please consider uh, giving a little tip. You know, you, you tip your waiter if they give you good service and they don't have to talk for an hour straight in the, uh, their basement um, alone with no other person engaging with them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite the interesting uh, talent over here. So um, if you do find this engaging, if, if you did stick around this entire time, um, which I appreciate so much in and of itself, um, if you don't have the means to donate in any way, but also I would appreciate it if you do consider going over to that gifts and go um, or just right to our link tree on our Instagram. So uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the revolution. Have a great week.